0: Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Hello and welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast for another week. I'm Nick McArdle, and uh, joining us this week, and well, join us very shortly, in fact, injured Australian seven-star James Stannard. He'll be with us, and New South Wales Super W star Grace Hamilton is here as well, and um, Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. Welcome to you. And uh, returning from a, a long sabbatical. Yeah, Bloody good to see. Yeah, Welcome from
1: back. Party Thank Podcast, you. Stephen Thank
2: Hoyles. You. Yeah, thanks, guys and girls. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. good to be back. I've missed it. Um, Have you? Well, I'll tell you in 40 minutes if I've enjoyed it or not. But look, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm here with a smile on my face. But Let me it's t- not about me, it's about the other guys. Today. Let me
1: tell you, though, there were iTunes uh, followers oh. out there that did ask where was Hoyles
2: this year. Yeah, and I think you need to starve the market every now and then, don't you? <laughs> Is that what it was? I think so.
0: I just look, thought... I was
2: sick of my own voice after last year. I can't do this every week. For I, thought
1: a... it, I thought it was a pay dispute.
2: <laughs> no, well, it was, no. there's no pay involved in either of it. So
1: <laughs> It was a tough year, though, last year, let's be honest.
2: Yeah, look, the, dealing with you on a weekly basis and Worthington, the Kiwi, when everything was going well for New Zealand rugby, and, and the game wasn't flourishing there. But, look, you brought me in the week after the Super Rugby <laughs> sides don't win a game, so... I'm not well, that excited about that.
0: Let's talk about that. I mean, that was—it's uh, kind of the weekend from hell, really, with with no wins for Australian Super Rugby teams. What did you What did you make of the whole thing? Uh,
2: look, I've seen a, a few reports since, and I think the way it's best summarised. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I don't think it's a lack of skill or fitness or strength, any of that. I, I just think we've lost the the ability to read a game and control the big moments, and almost like the game smarts. Like I don't think we've Got that coming through the next generation. I think we're starting to see the the byproduct of five or six years of really unsuccessful under twenties, and that's what we're dealing with at the moment. Like this, if you think about it, this shouldn't really come as a huge surprise. If you see where our schoolboys and twenties were for the last five or six years, you know f- the five or six years before that, we'd make finals in all of those every year. We'll top two or three. We'd often win the twenties or twenty ones back in the day, and we're we're not getting anywhere near the top of there now, and we're, we're making excuses for it, and we're talking to oh, we had a tough pool and we lost this game, but the reality is we haven't gone in the top five in the last
0: six years. And the other thing is too, and, and I've been hit up uh, a few mates in Western Australia and a bit of stuff on, on social media going, oh, you know, five to four, how's that going for you? And that's, there are some people now saying, well, hang on, what was that all about? We, we were supposed to be better than this.
1: Well, on top of that, there was a scepticism going, look, we haven't come up against the Kiwi side for the first six weeks and we're just, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're getting a few wins and we're, we're up okay placed on the on the standings, but... Come New Zealand, come the month of April and May, and we'll see a return to, to last year.
2: Well, not even that. We come up against a good South African side. You yeah. know, the top of the, the Aussies, the Tars versus the Lions. And, I, mate, I can't believe that the Tars were, were favourites for that game. Now you think about it. Like, it's almost like we didn't show any respect as a rugby audience to the the Lions. Like, they've made the last two finals. They're a quality side. And I don't think, being out there on the sideline, it was flat from the kick-off for the Tars. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And... um there, there was probably, if they summarised it, there was probably moments there was a lack of effort. But overall, they just they just didn't really fight for the big moments, and there wasn't they they couldn't engage the crowd. It was just a really flat occasion.
1: It's interesting you talk about respect. We had McBurn on the podcast last week, and he said that the, the number one thing that New Zealand sides do is respect their opposition and respect even Australian opposition. And it might sound ridiculous after so many years of success and dominance, but uh, that seems like it, it is the case.
2: Did you read last week's article, Simon Cron, he came out and said there's no room for complacency. As soon as you read that, you think there must be some in there yeah, because yeah. he's talking he's trying to squash it. So yeah. the Tars had a big week the week before, playing at the SCG against the Reds. They played well, it was a big occasion, but they you know, they didn't look anywhere near like the top of the Aussie conference the, last week. There, the Lions.
0: A couple of things about that in terms of, you know, you were surprised that they were the favourites going into that. One of the things is I don't think Australians uh, watch enough... Uh, super Rugby in South Africa, yep. you know, because of the mm. time of night. And, you know, they've been the best attacking team in the competition for two years now. Yep. And it should have been no surprise to anyone. And they really didn't have to get out of first gear uh, against, against the Tars. And the other thing is that we are so desperate for success, for one of our teams in Australia to be successful. As soon as there's a, a glimpse of form or all of a sudden we get really excited. It's a bit like that, you know, we desperately want another Grand Slam champion yep. in, in tennis. So as soon as a guy gets through to the fourth round of a Grand Slam, all of a sudden he's the next Leighton Hewitt or the next Pat Rafter. So there, there's that there's that complex going on as well that, that maybe we just need to keep a bit of a reality check on things. And I think we're all guilty of that. We, we all talk it up.
2: Chuck, do you watch much Super Rugby now? I know you're heavily involved with the Sevens, of course, but you still must keep an eye on it.
3: No, no, I've been waiting around for the Fours to kick off <laughs> for a year a bit. No, um, I haven't watched too much, to be honest, this year. Uh, the game hit couple of games this season, but, yeah, I haven't watched too much of it.
0: Yeah. James Sennard, welcome uh, to the uh, to the Fox Rugby podcast. Um, how are you, mate? Well, I mean, your your story is well documented, and everyone will be wondering how the hell you are.
3: Yeah, I'm going okay. Um, some days are really good. Some days are pretty poor, as uh, Kim will tell you, my wife. Um, but I, I, it's just I've got to take each day as I can. It's frustrating being a competitive sort of person, that I want to get out of bed and do the things I was doing a couple of weeks ago, but reality is I've just got to take my time and rest up and hopefully I'm right for the World Cup. And how
0: long will it be? How long have you been given a, a timeline before you can be expected to wake up in the morning and feel normal again?
3: No, no, they haven't given me a timeline. It's basically on on how I feel. Um, I think the first thing is is waiting for all my scans to be clear and once they're cleared, um, I can start setting my goals um, and hopefully getting through all those goals and being right for World Cup. And if that doesn't happen, i just got to play with the cards I got dealt.
2: uh, It was obviously shattering not to be able to play in in the Commonwealth Games, but at least you got to go up there. There was a time you probably thought you wouldn't even get up to
3: support them, but you made the trip up there. That was good to be a part of it. Mate, it was really good. Um, I was a bit nervous in the crowd. It's the most nervous I've been in years, even Mm -hmm. playing the game, but I was sitting there my heart was racing and I was real nervous for the boys. And and after that first win, I was just excited and just wanted to be around them. And it was really special to be there to support them. The the crowd itself
1: it, it was pumping out there. You, you clearly travel all around the world and have been such an integral member of the of the men's side for the, almost a, what, a decade or so. About uh, twenty years, I think, isn't it, Chuck? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> close to it. yeah. Benjamin Button, some people might refer to that crowd and the atmosphere. How did that compare to to the rest well, or to, to other tournaments
3: you've been to? Yeah, I mean, I reckon it's it's pretty much um, on par with with Sydney. It was it was really good um Sydney's one of my favorite tournaments because you get your family and friends there to support you because it's not a game that we're we're all over the world um every two months and your fa- it's not every time your family can come and watch you and it was it was much the same in the Com games it was special to have your family around watching you and, and the crowd's all behind us which was great and normally you go to hong kong you get booed or new zealand you get booed and sprayed it and Cans rolling at you. But um, no, no. You just no, catch it's... them and drink them though, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, 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 I don't. <laughs> no, but um, that no, was a really good atmosphere down there. I, I think the way they set it up was perfect.
2: Tell me, was the goal, what I love about Sydney 7 so much and why it's better than any tournament, even compared to the Brisbane 10s, is the access to the players. So after every game, the Sydney 7s, and I had my family there, you take them out after the Aussie game, they get to meet the stars, walking back down to their recovery area. The kids get photos with them and then they get to do it five or six times over the two or three days. Do you get to do that at the Gold Coast? Um,
3: no. No, you, no, okay. you don't. Um, they kind of usher you through and yep. through security and that sort of thing. I, I found it hard to even get to the place at, yeah, well. at, the Gold Coast and, um, at the Gold Coast and I had a few passes. But, no, it's insane that. Like, it's it's special for the young kids, but it, as a player it kind of gives you confidence and and makes you feel a bit special when you walk out and you see all these young kids asking for a photo or an autograph. Yeah. And, that's, that's, a, that's a good point that's you a, made. See, that.
2: Brisbane 10s is nothing like that. The players no. are underground, they get ushered up into well, the... It's, it's, a, into the
1: it's, it's yeah. a massive stadium.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I
2: think you've got to think about that. Like, yeah. for I wouldn't take kids to Brisbane 10s because they're just stuck. They're not accessing the stars, but Sydney 7s, the whole weekend, you can go up and see whoever you want, whenever you want. It's awesome. Chucky, did you ever...
1: We probably can't gloss over it too much, the Sydney 7s, because it had been so long since the men's side had won a tournament. Did you ever think that you were going to win another one? Yeah, <laughs> I go into every tournament yeah.
3: thinking we're going to win it.
1: That's a terrible um. question. This is one of the reasons why I struggle with this podcast. <laughs> He's a professional
2: athlete; they think they can win every time. But I'm it's sure. Like, I... you know, it's like not. as like saying it's like saying, So mate, you, you reckon you can write a good article in the next year? That's what <laughs> it's you go, oh, well, go. Yeah, well, I think I every... can do it every week.
0: But, but no seriousness. So, so... You would not have been if. if... If he knew it was going to turn out like this, you wouldn't have been invited back. <laughs> no, no, You, no, you should know. You take the highs and the lows, it's all right. But,
1: but in all seriousness, though, Sydney, I can't, that would have been surely rank among your biggest highlights.
3: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, winning in front of a home crowd and um, getting a cup. I've only done a cup in 2010 in London, and that was in front of a crowd of... Um, Englishman that probably left I was there, before actually. the final because they didn't make it. That was
2: Vandergast in that side? Yeah, Vanders, yeah. yeah. He's a top player. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> looked think like he, a good team. Yeah,
3: he's a really good guy. Um, He's moving back here, I think I think so, so yeah. Should, yeah. should get him back in the 7th program. Yeah. No, um, no, that was a very special moment winning Sydney in front of a home tournament. Um, You only get one chance a year to do that so, well two this year but it was uh, really good. Yeah.
0: So, so that coincided with your announcement that this was going to be your last year, and of course, you're hoping to go out on top at the World Cup. So, so from going to that massive high to then what's happened to you in the past few weeks is obviously a, a massive low. Um, how do you feel about this year and and the pressure? I guess that you're putting on yourself emotionally to get back for that that World Cup.
3: Um. Yeah, it's, it's not making me think, geez, I want to go another year. Um, I've just got to play with the cards I was dealt with. Um, I, I said I'm finishing in August, and that's for for reasons that I feel strongly about. And if if I got injured in, in Singapore, say so I went to Singapore and got injured for the rest of the season, that's the way it is. Um, that's the nature of the game. So i still got that end date, and um, I'll be trying hard to, to reach that. That last hurrah. And what would it mean
0: to you, you know, on the end of a wonderful career, what would it mean to make that, that World Cup squad, to be able to get back on the park and, and to wear the jersey again?
3: Uh, it would be very special, just like any tournament is, putting on the jersey and getting to play with your mates, so... Yeah, I, I think it'd be a great finish. Um, I'll be trying really hard to get there. That's for sure. And pushing. I still got to get selected. So there's some good young kids in our squad at the moment that are coming back from some serious injuries that are that are really good and, and going to play a big part of our sevens future. So um, I still got to make that side too. So yeah, uh, and
0: and there is a lot of there is a lot of depth there. Um, this weekend they go to Singapore. Yep, the boys and it's the first um, first tournament under Tim Walsh as the new coach so for anyone listening who isn't aware and I guess probably most people would be that Tim Walsh <laughs> having moved from the women's team to the men's team what's the expectation for Walshie?
3: Um, I don't know the expectation from um that I think um, with Friendy leaving so suddenly and him jumping into that role. I think he'll, he'll look to just... He'll still coach us and um, that sort of stuff, but I think he'll observe for this the rest of the season and just slowly bring in what he's all about and getting to learn more what we're all about and then us learning off him as well and then probably starting again after the World Cup um, in what he kind of wants to run in the program after that. But, um, yeah, I think it'd be tough for him. Um, as much as it's tough for the players having a transition like this, um, pretty much halfway through the season. We've had a few people
1: on Twitter asking us uh, why the reason halfway through the season to to change coaches. From a player's perspective, you've been there for
3: a long time. How did you feel about the the change? I think everyone was um, pretty shocked, to be honest. Um, Frenny's grown the program um, a lot since he's come in and a lot of the boys um, really liked him. And, and what he's done, we, we've, he's built a great, great culture within the program as well. Um, in 2010, we were amateurs. like We were just rocking up, going on a trip, drinking a few beers and playing in some tournaments. And then Ger- John came in, a Welshman, and turned it into a professional program. And then Friendy's even added on to that. So um, to see him go was really disappointing because he's, he's added a lot of value to the, to the program. But um, in saying that, it's, it's not into the players' control. In those decisions, that's much higher than us. Uh, we just got to stick with what they've decided and turn up to training, train the same, and and back Walshy. And that's not saying that we're going behind Friendy's back or anything. It just means we're just we're just doing our job, and that other stuff's up to the ARU to decide.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty fair point. I think the issue came about because Walshie was the one that announced that he was moving on mm. from the sevens program. Like to know Walshy's a very um, you know, he's a, he's a long, long-term player type of a coach. He's always thinking. Uh, he felt he was six years was enough with the women, and he put he, he played his cards really well. Like he basically put Rugby Australia in a position where they had to give him the men's you job, me. or they lost him. And he yeah. was going to coach against them, perhaps. In a, he, he always said he wouldn't coach against the women at the next Olympics, but that didn't rule him out from coaching against the men. So Rugby Australia was saying, "Well, do we let?" a gold medal winning coach, go and coach another inter- international team. So, tough decision for him and only time will tell, really. I, I think it's going to be
0: fascinating. I mean, we've all seen, um, both on the park and also behind the scenes, the the way he is w- with the girls and, and, you know, they do a lot of team building exercises. He's created a, a great culture. Whether all those buttons that you push um, with a women's team, whether those sort of things resonate with... Whether they're transferable, you know what I mean? Like, yep. to To a men's team or whether he has to develop a whole uh, different philosophy. I mean, Chucky, you've been around him, obviously, the, the girls and, and the guys that work side by side on occasions f- for a long time now. Um, from what you've seen of how he, how he deals with the, with the women's side, do you do you feel that those same things work
3: with the men side? Um, I don't think he has the opinion of, like he's going to come in and do exactly what he's done with the women, with the men. I think he's got other views on how he wants to do things with the men, which which will be good. I I think he understands that like some things won't work. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's 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 a tough one because he's only been with us for a week and. And it's very hard for him because we're going. To, they're in Singapore now. Mm. They're playing on Saturday. Yeah. So yeah, um, <laughs> it's 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 virtually we're we're just doing the same stuff we're normally doing, but he's just looking over it now and observing. So
0: so in that scenario, who are the guys within the team that he might lean on in terms of you know the the, the senior guys that not to to run the program but to basically. Help him in in his transition.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there'll be Lewis Hollands, a big one. He's he's a massive leader for the group. Uh, Jesse Parahai, um other senior members like uh, Tommy Lucas, uh, myself. Um, we we've had meetings with him and talked discussed a few things as well um, before he came into the first session. So no, he will be interesting times ahead. But um, no, I'm I'm sure he'll be he'll go great. He's got a great uh, rugby brain on him. He's rugby intelligence. Yeah, it's phenomenal. You saw it the way he worked with the women and bring them from virtually touch players into world champions and a gold medal at the bloody Olympics. So mm. I'm sure he's, he's got it to uh, get the men to that next level. But
2: um, I actually hope now that, like everyone said, that you know, and you've seen the men's program grow under Friendy, you just hope that uh, there's some type of role. And I was thinking about the other day what would what would be the best way to keep Friendy involved in the game. And you think where we need the most help, and it's around that. 16s, 18s, 20s, School, yeah, that school boys. We need someone that actually assists Rugby Australia. I know Adrian Thompson's here at the moment, but they need more help. They need a lot more people on the ground going out, and his his talent ID is a strength of his, his. His work with young guys, he's all, that's always been his strength as a coach. So I hope there's somewhere they can find a role for him to stay involved, whether it be 7s or 15s, it doesn't matter, because most of the guys play both at a young age now. So you, we've just got to go and make sure that the best young players are still... Boys and girls aiming to play rugby and not other codes.
1: Comes back, I suppose, a little bit to, to finances. And how much money do you think you need to kind of invest in that? Was that just a, you get a bloke in there or or is it a...
2: I think it's 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 a salary. That's all it is. It's mm-hmm. a salary for some guy to go out and, and actually help what's being done at the moment. But just another voice, another set of legs at all these. We have rugby tournaments all around the country every weekend and some are run by the Reds, some are run by the Tars. They're, they're all over the place. So we just need someone... We need more people out there looking for talent and actually notifying who the good ones are and just keeping an eye on them because most of them are getting snapped up by good leagues clubs at a young age now.
0: Well, and you would imagine that um, there's plenty of interest from overseas for Andy Friend. I mean, everyone's recognised what he's done with the men's team over the last 18 months or so. And uh, whether it be in sevens or obviously he has a long history in, in 15s as well, you would imagine that somewhere in the world there's going to be someone very interested in anti-friend services.
1: Well, yeah, you completely agree with that. And, and and I think he loved the experience of Rio as well. And I, I think there's some unfinished business about the Olympics there for him with the men's side not going as well as they would have hoped. But but speaking of that talent ID, I know that having interviewed Friendy a, a lot of times, he, one of the things he loved about his job was going out on, on weekends and,
3: and going to those carnivals. He was talking about it all the time. Well, Benny O'Donnell's a prime example. Yep. He went to a just a little muck around sevens tournament and picked up Benny O'Donnell. Well, it wasn't muck around mate, He was playing for Ramwick, come on. Oh was it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Is> it? <laughs> it's fair lucky to, make, <laughs> lucky to
0: make the bowl in my sevens
3: <laughs> comps, <but laughs> well,
0: well just on coaching, um, th- that's, that's something that floats your boat when once you're finished,
3: isn't it? Yeah definitely, uh, something I've been trying to work my way into in the last couple of years and not something I just thought of <laughs> overnight but um yeah, I'm hoping to get into some sort of coaching role, maybe in the A.U. somewhere with sevens and working as a skills sort of coach, or if it's overseas, it's overseas. But next next job is probably going into somewhere like that. How was he? how would it go?
2: Uh, it'd go well. Like he's he's putting on a really polite face at the moment. What you, what you, what you get about Chucky is you get honesty, and and I think there's a lot of that is a little bit lost in coaching. Like there's there's so many people out there that tell you what they think you want to hear. I think a guy like Chucky will tell you what you need to hear and I think that's really important. You watch him while he's playing and he's not afraid to, to give orders and he's not afraid to take orders as a player. So, um, But I, I also think, that, and I've had a brief chat to Chuck about this as well, when you go from playing, the hardest thing about going into coaching will be coaching against guys or coaching guys you've played with because mm, yeah. you've all of a sudden got to go from being a mate that can be a larrikin with them to being the guy that has to have the control and be able to distance yourself and have that yep. player-coach relationship. So that's always been a, a, a challenging one. But I, I think now with the amount of different competitions going on in Australian rugby with the AON and uh, all the junior coaching op- options, I think there's there's plenty of avenues. And um, I, I don't think we've actually had too many former sevens players, Walshies, probably the only one I can think of, that has ever coached in Australia. So I think it's there's probably we've got a lot of 15s coaches trying to coach 15s. But we need more sevens um, experienced players out there coaching.
1: A couple of things on that. Well, I think uh, while she obviously played for the Reds as well, so a fifteens player yep. who, who went into sevens. Uh, on, on back to constructive criticism, a little bit like your podcasting. Um, <laughs> but Chucky, I just want to ask you another one. A lot of people always ask, "Why are you called Chucky?" So
3: yeah, boring story. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's basically my old man called me Chucker. It was originally Chucker, and I think it's a water polo term of half a game or something like that. I'm not completely sure, but my sister and me, are half the family, so he called me Chucker. And then my probably should ask your dad about that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's what it did. Well, people just started calling me Chucky, and then Dad goes, "Well, it's not Chucky. I'll call you Rooster." So he he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't even call me Chucker anymore. (laughs) Chucker, uh, Chucka, uh, whatever you like. Hey, thanks
0: very much for for joining us, and it's really good to catch up. Um, as I said to you earlier, before we came on, when you walked out and did that that media conference soon after the incident, I think all of us were quite shocked at you know how obviously affected you'd been by it. So good to see you back up and about, and and getting on the right track to uh, to full fitness, and it'll be so good to see you at the World Cup later in the year.
3: Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Chuck. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. So good to catch up with James Stannard, who's clearly on the mend, and that is a a very good thing. And now we welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast, New South Wales Super W star and Wallaroo, Grace Hamilton. Welcome to you.
4: Hello. How are you?
0: Very, very good. Thanks for coming in. We've got so much to talk about with you. Um, Obviously, the Super W final we'll chat with in just a moment, but uh, you are here virtually straight off the back of an announcement at uh, ANZ Stadium today of uh, the double headers with uh, with the Wallabies. So for each of the Bledisloe Tests in Sydney and uh, Eden Park this year, you'll be. I don't really want to call it a curtain raiser, but you'll be first, and then and then the men second. How exciting is that?
4: Yeah, it's awesome for the Wallaroos. Like I think it's the the first time you know, yeah, decade, as we said before, that they'll they'll do that. And the first time that we'll play a doubleheader in Australia on home soil. So it's a massive opportunity for every girl that gets to wear that Wallaroos jersey.
1: What about you today? I was out there at Olympic Park and there certainly weren't many people, there were no spectators at all. But walking out alongside Michael Hooper, I'm sure, it would have been a pretty proud sort of moment, the Australian men's captain.
4: Yeah, no, it was. It was a bit surreal, actually. I was a bit overwhelmed. But um, I've never really been in that sort of atmosphere when there's like cameras and people with microphones in your face. So it was a bit different for me, but yeah, it was a really great experience. I think a very proud moment for myself as well because I didn't really know that was going to (laughs) happen.
2: You would have had a a good 18 months like with everything that's happened with World Cup last year, Super W this year, these announcements. It's all heading in the right directions for women's rugby in Australia.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think with the Super W, it really sets a platform for us to get better and get that um, progress for the Wallaroos better because we're playing at a high level week in, week out. Um, and in the future, I only think the Super W is going to get bigger and even involve maybe the Kiwi teams in the future. So we get that um, level of experience playing the best girls.
2: So so on that, like, how do you you come off the back of a... We'll talk about the game in particular soon, but how does that competition get better each year? Like, Do we need to spend more time training longer, a couple of months before the competition? Do, do we need to start getting girls paid? Is this where it needs to go? Is it going to happen in the next sort of 12, 18 months?
4: Oh, look, I don't know. Um, we're in grants payments and things like that. But I think even extended a little bit longer. So you play two rounds maybe and then it becomes a final or you get more teams involved from different states. It was really good having the Western Force still involved this year because they're a competitive state in women's rugby. So, yeah, it was a great thing to see. But, yeah, I think it's just going to get bigger and better. And the coaching, we had the facilities of Waratahs, so we are lucky enough to go week in, week out with the boys. And
2: You were training down at Daisyville? Yeah,
4: yeah. And, like, some of the boys were so good to us. We had messages before the game being like, we're all one club, like, go out there and give it your all. Like, and that's a massive thing for girls like that. So we've been such amateurs for so long. To have the professional boys turn around and be like, you're still part of our club, we're all one, it was just was a great feeling for us.
1: You've got to put it in a little bit of context as well. <laughs> I know we're talking about, oh, where can this game go in, in 18 months? It was gone so far already this year because we, we were talking earlier. In previous years, state champs played, and you're playing over a weekend and you're playing halves that are going for 20 minutes mm. yeah it's it's quite extraordinary the rise and and it seems particularly off the back of of that rugby world cup and and the momentum now as australia like the railing castles and, and bill polver before that were very keen of, of getting the 2021 rugby world cup in, in australia
4: yeah, and I think by having these sort of competitions, it makes it a bit more serious like that they want to develop rugby in Australia and then they have the opportunity to. Um, there were so many new faces. There was girls that had never played 15s in their life before and they've joined this competition and shone through and like, they're some of the best talent that we saw out there. So having those girls is a massive opportunity for us and just keeping them within Rugby Union is also a massive step we need to take to build the Wallaroos. And I
0: think the final of the Super W being between... Queensland and New South Wales was obviously replay of the the first round. So it was this perfect gauge of how far the two teams had come in that six-week period. And the improvement was unbelievable just by playing that six weeks of week-in, week-out rugby. So imagine if... If you could extend it, but also obviously do it year on year, yeah. the game's going to go ahead and leaps and bounds.
4: Oh, and that's it. It's just going to go ahead. And I think you see from Queensland, I think they improved the most out of any team because they played their starting team every week. They had the same team and they just kept building and building and building on that. Whereas we changed our team a little bit every week, which is a bit tough to get used to. Coming to that, and then they came out firing. And I honestly think we didn't expect it. Um, but they just kept grinding away and we just had to keep grinding as well. And it was it was tough, but lucky we had some experience that got us back in the game.
0: So let's talk about the final. Um, so it um, it goes to extra time um, and then it goes to the, the second period of Golden Point extra time. And then the final siren goes, Queensland giveaway... The penalty and the penalty goal is kicked. It was, and they were going to share. They they weren't even. They weren't going to go to penalty shots or anything like that. They were going to share the title. That's that's where it was heading. So it was knife edge for what twenty minutes, half an hour. There, it was. It was just the most incredible sporting event, and it was in terms of Australian rugby. It was easily the best game of the weekend. (laughs) It really was.
4: Yeah. No, it was. It's great experience to be part of that, and I think was at the end of it it was ninety seven minutes of rugby, and like. I was busted. I've like, literally had to like look, and I had a prop on. We had a prop on there, tight head prop, who played that whole game, 97 minutes, which is like unheard of. Yeah. And I just looked at. I remember looking at her in that first, like first time of the extra time, and I was just like, "You need to come with me." And she was like, "All right, we're doing this." Like, and I just like from that moment, I was like, "We're gonna, we're gonna do this." Like, I always had that belief in our team that we would get there, but it they just kept grinding away. And I remember when it was 10:13, uh, I think it was. And the one at the touch judge said to me, this is last play, because the hooter went. He goes, it's the last play. And I was like, girls, we just have to get the line out and get the ball out. Yep. And we did. And then they were like, four minutes. And yeah. I, my heart, I <laughs> literally just broke down. I was like, I'm so tired. The touchies just told me it was the last play. Did but it now remind got, you of yeah. the
2: Brisbane Tens? Did all that stuff come creeping back in your mind? Because you had a, an epic battle with them in the final there. Yeah. The, the last, the third game. And... From memory, you had a lead. They scored just before and they went into extra time in Brisbane. I, I was there at both games thinking it's going to happen again.
4: Yeah, no, it, and it did. Um, that's what happened. So we basically, in the first round, we beat them quite convincingly in the Brisbane 10s and then come the final, we we're extra time, extra time again. And then <laughs> they scored they, they scored against us. And that's what I said to the girls after, like a few of the Red girls were some of my good mates. So I was like, "Well, you had the tens; you have to let us have this." So it's only fair. Yeah, it was. No, it was. It was, it was a great, yeah, turnaround for women's rugby. Well,
1: and and this year you've got a new coach on board too. Um, where can this Australian side go? I understand what, there's a, about a forty woman squad that that's been picked, and and you're all training by yourselves. What this? We talk about the gap between the Super Rugby uh, with the with the men's missing out of the, of the finals last year before the Bledisloe and it would have been about a month or so. With the women, it's going to be many more months before you face New Zealand uh, on, what, August 18, Saturday evening.
4: Yeah, and I think we only come into camp just before that, but it's the best preparation we've had. In, in ages. So we can't complain. It is Yeah, the building. Super W yeah. eight games before. Yeah, even. and it's and it's getting better. So they've picked a squad and it's more of like a development squad for the next four years. So they've picked girls that they want to develop over the next four years and then they think they can. Um, which is and then every girl out there has a great opportunity to be part of that Wallaroos team.
1: Well speaking of four years, it was only what, five years or so ago that you started playing rugby of, of course.
4: Yeah, I did five, I think two thousand
1: thirteen. How did you how did you get into it?
4: Um, I grew up around rugby always, but in Orange, they didn't really have women's rugby around, so I was always just out there with Dad while he was coaching or my brother, cheering him along. Um, I was a netballer, so I went overseas. I went to university in Canberra, and then I went on exchange to America and just to make friends because I didn't know what netball was. I just yeah, decided to play rugby.
1: It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I suppose with, with women's and rugby, and you look at sevens at the moment, I'm, I'm sure that 15s is only going to grow in popularity, on the back of the success that, particularly the Australian women's side, has had, do you do you see that too?
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely. The sevens side is it's gone skyrocketed, and I think every little girl out there is like, I want to play, which is so great to see. I've girls, I go out and coach sevens clinics, like, and I'm not playing sevens, but I play sevens at like state level, but that's about it. Well, but
2: speaking of those, where do you do these clinics? Because is an issue I had. Like, I've got a few kids, and my my oldest daughter wanted to go to footy camp, but the one her younger brother goes to. It's just all boys. So there wasn't many school there wasn't many sevens camps for women only in our area. Where's the one? Yeah,
4: no, that one I've just gone out to help it a few. I've gone out like from or out west in yeah, my okay. hometowns and then I've also just gone out to training sessions. So the girls in North Sydney, I don't know, there's a new North Sydney okay. time and then I went up to East and they had a women's little rugby festival. So there was girls that were like eight years old and they were just like there was the best tackler I've seen. She could probably play with us and she was only eight years old. So yeah, it was it's just awesome getting out to those things and I, I know every single girl would just get out there and wants to wants to give back to the game. They just don't know where.
0: And the other thing that's really interesting with all of that is is the whole um, girl power that that goes with that. And that is, as teenage kids, and I know um, from my daughter's sort of cohort, they're getting off their backsides and they're organising it themselves. They're out, they're going to their sports teachers, or they're getting parents together, and they're saying. Listen, we know there's no team existing in our area. We're going to start one. We're going to start a team. Phil Kern started a team with his daughter. It's he's now a coach. It yeah, is, right. know, it is like it's not like they're looking and they're going, "Oh, there's nothing in the area. I, I can't play 7s They're just going, "Well, we're going we to do to it play. ourselves." You know, yeah. there's this there's this great sort of strength of mind and intent to to put these things together and and just get going
2: with so it. So, mate, we went to Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago on the classic. While he's played in the Hong Kong tens. And the Ramwick Magic under-18s are over there for a tournament. And there's this one guy, Fidel. You've probably met Fidel. Yeah. So this guy has started at... It used to be Maruba Magic. It's now Ramwick Magic. And it's essentially Ramwick's female club now, a uh, female team. And he's got an under-10s, 12s, 14s, 16s and 18s, 7s Sevens. and 15s. All because one guy's got off his backside and rallied to the local area and done it himself. Yeah, it's and, one
4: of the best clubs going for women's yeah, rugby. All
2: be- and that's all it takes. i so anyone listening, like if you're thinking, "How do I do it?" You just got to start it. Yeah, yeah
4: you just got to yeah. get some interest. Yeah,
2: and the rugby community, being what it is, and I've and I've
0: known that you've said this, Halsy. You only have to say to, and I've said to a couple of the sevens girls, and they're like, "Shani was like, yeah, no problems yeah. at all. If the team exists and you need some help, give us a yell, yeah. and all of a sudden you've got Olympic gold medalists who are willing to yeah go and." And help out. Wallaroos, I imagine, yeah. willing to go and help out. And it's it's kind of rugby helping itself. It's a really feel-good
2: story. Well, the best thing about rugby for years and years has been the volunteers. Like, the game has survived on volunteers. And there's the professional game has almost forced that out. And that's why I reckon the NRC struggles a little bit, because volu- there's no volunteer basis. But for all these junior women's and men's sevens clubs, there's volunteers putting their hands up. There's professional players wanting to go and help, because... I think we see the game at certain levels is in trouble, and everyone's trying to put the hand up and say we know we're having some struggles, but this is actually really pumping. Sevens is growing, and women's rugby—we've got to get behind it.
0: Um, Grace, obviously, kicking goals um, with the the career path that you've chosen in the sport—not literally, path not a great kicker. <laughs> but, but but do you ever think back, and you ever have any regrets that you didn't go along the career path that you had as a as a younger girl, a, a smaller
4: <laughs> child? Uh, I wanted to be a vet. So, no. and, be- oh, and, and before <laughs> that? Before, <laughs> before I wanted to be a nun. No. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a <laughs> nun. So this is the
2: irony. We were talking about this before we went on air and this is the issue I have with Christy here. So, she, Grace, you wanted to be a nun because you're inspired by, what's her name? Sister, <laughs> Sister Carmel. Sister Carmel. And Christy Doran says, is that a Catholic school? <laughs> no, I'm just curious because I went to a Catholic
1: school myself. Let's We can't necessarily you went, confuse yeah. Wait, and, Christianity Christianity. and you wanted <laughs> to
0: be a nun. You tried. That's It was a hybrid. I had a lot of
1: people asking. <laughs> you know, I went to St. Leo's College at Rurunga and had a lot of teachers actually asking me whether or not do I you wanted want to, to join, join the monastery. Yeah, you strike me as a priest. You really do. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, well, I did tell them no. <laughs> Quite emphatically. Um, <laughs> their gain is our loss. I mean, <laughs> no, their loss is our <laughs> gain. <game>, yeah. <laughs> Let's push on to, to a couple
2: of. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it
1: seems appropriate now to a, a couple of shout outs. It's some significant things over the weekend, uh, internationally as, as well as at home. For me, big one was seeing Scott Fardy in and, and Leinster. Uh, make it through to the European Champions Cup final. Grace, the big Scott Fardy yeah. fan. wow well, love uh, Scott Farty. Who, who isn't? He's yeah. getting a lot of love um, from from his teammates who have compared him to... to he's only been there for, for yeah. less than a year and he's been compared to his contribution there to, to the likes of, of Brad Thorne and Rocky yeah. Olsen. Awesome. So, huge, huge uh, huge year for him.
2: Yeah, and I think that's what I love about when you see these guys go over to Europe, We, you, you know, people probably thought he was... Bit quiet last year after the World Cup in 15 and 16 and 17 a little bit quieter. He's gone over to Europe and he's proved why he's a world-class player. And that's why we've got to you know we've got to find a way to have 30 plus players in our sides all around the country. That's talk about the Super Rugby on the weekend. That's what we're lacking: mature players that make smart decisions. We're always looking for the 22-year-old superstar. And who's the best player in Europe at the moment? 33-year-old back row. Well, yeah,
1: he is. He's been nominated as as one of the uh, three or four. Might be a couple of more, but uh, nominees. Yeah. Well, he, for, gets, for he gets Grace's year. vote.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he does. He even came saw us at the World Cup. So, yeah, yeah, that was good, huh? Hey? Yeah, yeah, it was the best.
0: Um, Holsey, I should leave this one to you, but for, from a personal point of view, I, I was um, devastated to hear about Rob Horn um, being forced into retirement. You, as a as a former teammate, would have felt the same, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I was shattered to hear how what happened to Rob. So he hurt his shoulder on the weekend. He was captain of Northampton. Uh, he's got some nerve damage in his arm. Um, the extent of that is still a little bit unknown, but it, you certainly called time on his career. Um, if you get a chance to have a look at it, um, it's a normal tackle, but it, the, the tackle that Rob Horn finished his career on, it, it sums him up in in a heartbeat. Kickoff for the start of the game. He's three metres in front of everyone else on his team. He's the first bloke that puts a shot on the biggest guy on the field. Um, it didn't go well, but it, it just summarises his whole career. There was never a bloke that led with his actions more than Rob Horn. Um, Without a doubt, I don't don't say this because of the sentimental side of it, if you can name a better front-on defender in in Super Rugby over the last 10 years, I'll beg to differ that it can't be anyone but Rob Horn. He was an amazing competitor, um, a really good team man, under-the-radar type of bloke. There wasn't a time where he wasn't playing for Australia when he was fit. He's only played 35 tests. That's still a lot, but he's had a monumental run of injuries Every time he was fit from the age of 20 onwards, he was in a Wallaby squad and always a 23. So terrible news for him. Um, He's well-supported from a a lovely wife, Simone, and two young kids, and and hopefully um, he improves with his injury. It
1: goes to show how well and highly respected he was, that he was vice-captain of the Wallabies. You don't just become vice-captain. And that was another thing that was pretty under the radar. Uh, Yeah,
2: he's always been the guy that I think would finish rugby and sail off into the sunset. So he's not a guy that likes a big fanfare, but... um, yeah, pretty sad. He, look, he's at a good club, Northampton, and, and they'll look after him, and he's going to need a bit of help, I think, at the moment because it's all been a pretty dramatic week. Mm.
1: Henry Spate as well, over the weekend, played his 100th Super Rugby match, and it, I, I dare say he would have been disappointed a couple of times defensively. Uh, but, but no, he's, mate, don't he's, slag him off. It's he's, his 100th game, mate. <laughs> go easy he's, on him. He's, no, he's, he's, he's always been, well, for the last few years anyway, the Brumbies, heart and soul, and, and in attack. And
2: re-signed with the Brumbies as well last couple of weeks,
1: yeah. So, so great sign for him, but testament to the character of Henry Spate that one of the Argentinians gets injured throughout the match. The next day when Argentina go, they're off to New Zealand for a couple of matches. They're playing the Blues this weekend. He goes to the airport to farewell the bloke that was injured. Uh, The Argentinians tweeted it out.
2: So, huge respect. I I think that's got something to do with those um, Commonwealth Games athletes, fleeing. Um, where were they from where were the Commonwealth Games athletes that snuck through and haven't gone home
0: uh, from an African yeah so uh, I, th- I think nation. as Australian I think athletes now a we've a got moment. to make sure that all touring it's teams <laughs> yeah the Cameroons. we just got to make sure that
2: they do not stu- they, they, they do don't. go home so I think right. that's why Henry went <laughs> to the airport he was rosted on he, he was rostered was just... on just to be the nice guy but make sure the Argies get on that plane <laughs> yeah but anyway <laughs> it's still a nice story <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well I reckon that uh, probably just about wraps us up on, on that note well, Halsey. Good to see you back. Come back soon from sabbatical. Oh, uh,
2: look, we'll see how we'll see how the feedback goes. Yeah. It was it was a
0: very controversial sabbatical. Let me say it was a lot of period. A lot of people didn't think you should have been paid the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the year, and you know, have your stint in Japan, and you know, going off and, and working in wildlife parks. Oh, sorry, no, that wasn't you. No, that was no. no that's sorry. That's sorry. Uh,
2: but I do love rhinoceroses. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah,
0: good to know. And uh, Grace, uh, terrific to have you on board as well. And exciting news, obviously, uh, with uh, the double headers around the. Planet. Like, that's going to be something yeah. to uh, in August. Come back soon. Terrific. I will. And, um, Christy, thanks.
1: See you again next week. All
0: right. Thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby
1: Podcast.